Snap to Winston, dropping straight back. Throws, intercepted Deion Jones, and the ball game is over. And that's 30 picks for, for, for our boy Winston. And Jameis Winston throws his 30th interception on the first play of overtime. You're listening to Falcons Audible, presented by AT&T. And I'm Matt Speak with Dave Archer on a Monday, a happy Monday, Dave. Uh, the Falcons wrap up the 2019 season with a 28-22 win in overtime in Tampa. The Bucks always make it interesting. And finished on a high note, but a six-in-two second-half run, four straight games to wrap it up. Uh, just a feel-good day, a feel-good week, really, Dave, uh, with the news that uh, you know Arthur Blank coming out and, and making the announcement that uh, Dan Quinn and, and Thomas Dimitrov are going to be retained. And uh, so it was just, it was a great week. It was a great way to end the season. Um, and let's just, let's just jump in right there with, with the game and, and uh, where, where this team's at. Well, the game was, was certainly fun. Obviously it's, uh, it's always fun. You win games, especially on the road. It's a team that went on the road four times in the back half this year and got wins. Uh, you went, you went in San Francisco, which is the they're the number one seed. Uh, of course, you went in New Orleans, and and obviously they're going to be a team that's going to be vying for a championship potentially based on the way they played. They thumped Carolina yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so this is a uh, I think that the feel good is probably the right way to describe the back half of the year. A lot of reasons why, um, and namely it's because of the turnaround defensively and what they've been able to do to limit teams, and that was part of the case yesterday. In limiting Tampa to one for eight on third down yesterday. Now I thought they got a little off the rails uh, in the th- in the third quarter. Um, this was a Tampa team that had not run the ball with very much prowess during the year, averaging about 92 yards a game, but ran the ball for 133 yards in the first contest against Atlanta. So you needed to limit the run game to not give them a two-way go on the offensive side of the ball. This was the an offense that was number one in the league or number two in the league, an offense number one in passing offense. But mm-hmm. combined that, they were mm-hmm. number two or, two or three in the league total offense. So uh, you needed to try to make them a one-way go. And as it turned out, in the third quarter, they got the run game going. They ran for about 85 yards in the second half, and a lot of that was in the third quarter. But I give, again, the defensive coaches credit. You limited them in the first half. Uh, with the run game and then in the fourth quarter you limited him in the fourth quarter in the run game which put the onus back on Jameis Winston and Winston throws you two in the in that back uh, back two frames you count the uh, the overtime as a frame it was one play so maybe it's not a frame maybe it's just an extension of the fourth quarter but yeah he threw you a couple so uh, that was what you were hoping for is to force him into mistakes and he made a couple mistakes that helped you win the football game yeah, great point with Ronald Jones. He, you know, I had to go look up his season stats. He had a season high, career high day. Mm-hmm. Uh, was at one point averaging 12, <laughs> 12 yards a, a carry. I think he finished up with uh, 9.6 here, according to uh, the official stats. But yeah, he had 106 yards. Um, you bring up Jameis Winston, first quarterback in history to throw 30 touchdowns, but 30 INTs. He throws magnificent passes, and then he just makes horrible decisions. Uh, yeah. But you've got to capitalize on it. And, mm-hmm. and the Falcon, to the Falcons' defensive uh, unit's credit, they did. Ricardo Allen picked off a pass. Deion Jones, uh, which you noted in your uh, Archer's take on AtlantaFalcons.com this morning, that you know what he's made. He's had what nine. 
career interceptions in four of them now uh he's returned for touchdowns he's a big play waiting to happen back there yeah he's he's had his knack for it doesn't he and yeah. uh and talking to him post game uh and Debo's such a jolly guy anyway when you talk to him in in the interviews uh, but uh, he wants to disperse credit where credit's due to, to his teammates and all that type of stuff and them being able to play good team defense. But he has a knack for the ability to read plays, and this was a, a little stick route to the tight end uh, where he's just going to release up the field and run about a six-yard route. And uh, it's something when you watch on tape, and, and Debo studies tape a ton, that he knows that Jameis likes to raise up and stick that ball on first down. And uh, he jumped it. And uh, it, now this is a ball that was heated up pretty good, too. This ball was thrown really hard and kind of to Debo's left. And he was mm -hmm. able to just suck it in and, and take it in the end zone. So good play by him. But you create three turnovers defensively. All three are in their end of the field. Now you only converted one, and Deion Jones had to do it himself to put it in the touchdown. The other two converted to field goals. So 13-year points come off of those defensive turnovers. So they came in timely and big-time fashion. You needed them. Yeah, they had a 22-point outburst in the second quarter. Then they, the defense uh, held, uh, blanked them in the second half. But well, take, part don't, of that don't, was don't give the Steve Cardis because of the, the field goal kicking woes for, for them too. Yeah, and, and don't, give, uh, don't put the 91-yard return for a touchdown That's on the defense. The defense had yes. nothing to do with that. Now, they did have a chance to stop them on the two-point conversion. So 16 of the points certainly were credited to the defensive side of the football. Yeah, great but, clarification uh, there, but yeah. But their kicker struggled. Our kicker did not. Uh, yeah. Koo did a great job of pounding five through. Probably, if you're going to try to find a player of the game, he might be the guy. And obviously, he hit the field goal that put him into overtime, and they needed that one because they were. St this was a Tampa defense for whatever reason is really tough on Atlanta, uh, especially up front. I thought they controlled the offensive line. The Falcon offensive line struggled again today. That's 12 sacks in two games they've given up against his Tampa defense. Um, and then when you got deep in their red zone, they're pretty solid. I think they came in 11th in the league in red zone defense, and their ability to rush four and get pressure on the quarterback and drop seven in coverage and play zone back there, they did a really good job of passing off routes and made it tough for Ryan to stick the ball in the end zone. Uh, they limited Atlanta big time in the red zone, and fortunately Koo was, was clutch and knocked those through. Number one rush defense, too. Yeah, you knew you weren't going to run it against them. They gave up 57 yards the first time these two teams faced, and they, they've been tough on everybody all year long. So, But they're not very good against the pass. The problem is Atlanta was not able to block them. Like other teams have been able to get them blocked, so now you can expose that secondary. Atlanta struggled up front. I talked to Lindstrom and to Caleb Gary, the two young guys on the right side. They said, man, that was an all-day fight. They said a very big learning experience for them as to what they're going to need to do in the offseason to make themselves maybe better from a footwork standpoint to studying tape to, to maybe just strength in, in general. Uh, it did like it was a good – it was neat to see Matt Gono get a couple of snaps at left guard. I've liked him for a long time. Me too. I thought he showed a, uh, an ability to drop that big rear end, if you will. He's a big-bodied guy. And, and Vita Vea, who's 6'4", 350, he just stopped him in his tracks on a bull rush to the inside, and I thought that that maybe is a glimpse of what you – you know, we, we might talk about a little bit what's coming up, but that mm -hmm. might be a glimpse of one of those guys that's going to have a sniff to potentially play that left guard position for you next year. Yeah, I think I think you did a great job just now of kind of recapping the game and, 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 and look and putting it in perspective because if, if their kicker – what's his name, Matt Gay? Uh, 
What was his name? Uh, Gay. It was yeah. his last name. Matt, That's correct. He's yeah, a draft pick too. If he makes those kicks, we're we're not even. I mean, it, the game's out of. Well, it potentially changes. Obviously, when you when you get down by a couple scores, now your play call changes or your lot in life changes to where you attack a little bit differently. But uh, certainly, if you just go based on the raw facts that he missed three, if he makes nine, those three, then points. certainly you, you're behind the eight ball in that situation. Uh, you talked about Ku possibly being a player of the game. One player, Dave, I want to ask you about who I was really impressed with, and I think he was – he really stood out yesterday, but he's he's gotten better as the season has gone along, um, especially after the catch in his aggressiveness is Russell Gage. I thought that he played a really – I mean, he you know, his stats didn't, like, jump out, and but I thought he played solid, and he played – you know, you can tell a couple times he was kind of – he had a little hitch in it to his giddy up there, uh, but he stood stayed in the game, and I just I just like his – how he attacks after the catch and uh he's got another gear too i just I, f- I feel like it's an exciting uh you know it's a young exciting receiver to add to their already you know julio jones and calvin ridley what are your thoughts on gage's day and just where we look at where his growth heading into 2020 yeah i love his confidence level this is a guy that caught 26 passes in his career at ohio at, at lsu and I think he's somewhere around 45, 44, 45 catches this year. Uh, and in the last, I believe the last five games, I believe he has 27 receptions. He had more catches in the last five games of the season than he had his entire career LSU. So that would tell you, okay, well, there's a, there's a learning process. There's a, there's a process of trying to establish your confidence I haven't seen that at all. He looks like a guy that belongs out there every snap. And give him a ton of credit for stepping up. When Sanu was was moved on, he moved on to New England, and of course the Ridley injury. This guy's just stepped in and seamlessly taken that that mantle where you feel like, hey, you feel really good about with Ridley coming back with injury. Jones, Ridley, and Gage now as mm-hmm. your three receivers. I think you feel good about that. But I do think that's interesting when you look at Gage, when you look at Lamadi Zacchaeus, who made a couple of really good catches in the game as well. They take, they watch. And I think you got to give them credit that they watch Julio Jones because who is as good as there is and when he catches the ball short, he goes north and south. You don't see a lot of horizontal running. This is something Ridley's going to have to work on. Calvin has a tendency to try to run and find more and lose ground. Calvin's going to have to learn to get north and south some, and I think that that's something Julio's helping him with. But Zacchaeus and Gage go north and south when they catch it. That's what you're talking about. And you get mm-hmm. that extra three, four, five yards, and maybe you split defenders, and now it's a big play, but they get you those extra yards, and probably some of that converts and, and moves the chain. So I'm impressed with Gage. It's uh, a long answer for you on no, the Gage scenario. Though I, I really like him, and I think that uh, his confidence level and all the things he brings to the table uh, is going to translate well the next year. So here we are. Uh, they they, they – uh pull off four straight wins to wrap up the season. You went, do you know when the last time they uh, won four in a row was? At the end of the year or just, just, four, just in general? In general. Um, four, we had to go back to – did we finish the 16 season? Yeah. With, yeah. yeah. There was two that season, four, two four-game wins. I remember streaks. we closed it out. We were seven and five and won all the way to the Super Bowl and didn't get it done there in that final one, but uh, had a nice run there. Yeah. So uh, last year they had a, a three-game – win streak and then i think in the year before they had two three games but it's been since 2016 since they won four in a row um do you believe as a player 
I guess just we we were kind of kicking this around yesterday and and in the in the office, uh, especially and and I'll tell you why. Uh, but do you believe in momentum at the end of a year, heading into a, a new season with new a new draft class with new free agents and the coaching staff always has one or two or or more uh, changes as well. Um, it's, it's a different team and you hear coaches say all that all the time. Like, Hey, I don't want to compare teams. It's, we're a different team. We've got a different makeup. We got a different schedule. Do you believe in momentum? Do you believe that a team can take a four game or a six, two run? And because so much happens in the off season, as you know, as a player, former player, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it, it, it can, it depends on how you handle the off season. I thought Matt Ryan said it best i asked him what does the back half of the season mean to you guys does it help you going into the off season in the next year and he thinks it helps the young players i think a young player and i do remember as a young player moving from my second year to my third year um we won the last two games of the season that year after really struggling in 85 we were i think we finished four and 12 or five and 11 but we won our last two games mm -hmm. and it really did carry into the off-season workouts it created an energy and excitement about what we could potentially be the next year and we started the 86 season four and oh and we were i think five two and one at the halfway point of the season so it did carry over through our off-season workouts and but that'll be up to the guys that bring that energy with them right they've got to carry that because it's not something that's just you know, all of a sudden you look up and say, hey, there's there's energy. It, it's something that's possessed within the players that they have to carry with them through, to, through the workouts. And so these guys will have about a month off, and then they'll start getting back into the weight room, and, and that's got to carry into their off-season workouts and that type of stuff. And then when you get into the OTAs or mini camps, then you feel it as well. Um, so I, I guess that falls on the players. I don't necessarily think it affects older players. Yeah, I think those guys uh, compartmentalize a lot more, Ryan and Jones and those guys, uh, Alex Mack. But I think if they've got young players around them that are bringing that, then that energizes them as well. So it could affect those guys as well. Yeah, that's a great way to explain it. I think I think a lot of it too has to, if, if you have that continuity where you have the, that core, and and they are and you have you have guys young guys that are looking to them, and I think if you have continuity on the staff, I think there can be something. I think you learn about your team. I think Dan Quinn, you know, he said it all the time. A lot of coaches say this. You know, you're growing throughout the whole course of the year. He's learning about his team in different situations, and so you see what guys are made of. You see, like you know, this team. Look at they they showed a lot because they didn't quit. You know, when when they were one and seven, they actually if you you look at the body of work, and as you pointed out, those big the big road wins. It's not easy to win in the NFL period, especially on the road. And these this team kind of dug in, and uh, so that's a good sign. And that, that's yeah, a, that's a good sign heading into the twenty twenty. I don't think there's any question about it. You look at a team in your own division in Carolina that uh, was a when we played them the first game uh, in the series between the two teams in oh, Carolina. There, yeah. That was a team that was very much in the playoff hunt. Uh, yes, they had a young quarterback, and the young quarterback had played extremely well to that point coming into that game. And Atlanta Allen. picked him off four times in that game. And their lot in life changed dramatically from that point on. Obviously, a couple of weeks later, Ron Rivera's fired. And look how they closed the season. I mean, how about that brutal effort that they put out there by New Orleans? And, 
you know, everybody's di- you know, each team is different and each team the way they outlook, but the the leadership on that team that you respect so much and Greg Olson and Luke Keekley and some of those guys couldn't keep that going. You know, I was Christian McCaffrey. That's a guy that goes for a thousand yards receiving and, and rushing. It's a great juxtaposition yeah, example. Yeah, it just it just they, they didn't gone. they didn't get it done. You know, and they didn't they didn't rally around each other and play for one another because yeah, it's a different coach, but you're playing for each other too in your city. And they didn't do that. This team this team did. It's a great 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 point. Um, so they finished seven and nine, take second in the in the NFC South, and. As a result, Dave, they end up now with the number 16 pick for uh, April's draft. Uh, And fans are wondering, okay, it's not a top 10 pick, but you just brought up Carolina. They had the 16th pick last year. They took a pretty good defensive end out of Florida State. Brian Burns had a great preseason. Pretty good start to the year. Mm-hmm. Kind of fizzled off, a little, you know, a lot of that. Which happens to young players sometimes sure. when they start to hit that wall a little bit. When you get about that 11th or 12th game, all of a sudden you look up and you got four preseason games. Says, when is this thing over yet? And you still got, you still got a quarter of the season left to play. So it's not a bad pick. I mean, there's a there, hey, look, I didn't go through um, the history of the number 16 pick last night just because I had to get the story up, but. I did realize that the Falcons have picked 16th twice in their okay. history. What do we got? You remember any of them? I do not. No. Yeah, that's a tough one. That that's, would that's yeah, unfair. That, that, yeah. That's unfair. Sorry. <laughs> what do you got for me? <laughs> I know you're a walking encyclopedia, <laughs> no, but that's, that's just unfair at this hour true. in the morning. If you true. had your coffee, yeah, you I, I'm right having there. my coffee okay. now, but there, there's no memory no in this coffee right here. <laughs> no coffee's that strong. So what do you got for me? Uh, so their inaugural, inaugural, mm-hmm. easy for me to say, season. They had two first-round picks, so they had Tommy Nobis. He wasn't the first one, though. He wasn't the 16. What was no? He was number one overall. Right. And then they had number 16 pick, Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson, the quarterback. Yeah, Texas yeah. A&M. Okay, yeah, yeah Texas A&M. Yeah, Randy Kingsville. Johnson was their quarterback for the first first few seasons of the franchise. Yeah. No question. Um, yeah, Nobis should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way, but he's not. Yeah, but, I think uh, we're. I think he's gonna. We'll see. Good. I, I think he's picking up uh, some steam here. He's one of the finalists. Should have got in when he was still here yes. with us. God rest his soul. What a phenomenal player and a great man. I had a chance to be around Tommy a ton. But anyway, uh, who was the other six? We need pick? to talk some Nobis, by the way. We need okay. to do a podcast on some of these guys, and I want to pick your brain on Nobis. But uh, the other guy was 1983. That was the year before I came in. Okay. All right. Who, uh, uh, okay. Defensive tackle. D-tackle. Wow, D-tackle. Uh, Alabama. Oh, it was Mike Pitts. Mike Pitts. Mike Pitts. See? Yeah, Mike was a good player for Atlanta and then went on to play for Philadelphia and was part of their defensive front that rotated with Reggie White and Clyde Simmons and that group up there. Uh, Mike Golick was a part of that group as well. Um, so Buddy Red Ryan J- years. Jerome Brown. Yeah, that was a Ooh. good defensive defensive line. Jerome Brown. And uh, Pitsy was a big part of that. Uh, I think Mike still lives here in the Atlanta area too. He and his wife Gina live here in uh, here in Atlanta. And every now and then I'll see him in alumni things. But he was a heck of a player. So if we can get a guy like that, it's an impactful player like that. And I think you can. I mean, think about what Lindstrom was 14 last yes. year. Yes. Okay, so you're thinking about a guy that was your starting right guard. Now, we didn't get to see enough of him. Uh, and he had a tough day sometime, some yesterday with uh, a couple of those guys. But <laughs> yeah. I do think it was a learning experience for him and for, for Caleb McGarry. Let's hope they're better for it. But, uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a good player sitting there. And, you know, I mean, I know you and I are going to get together here over the off season. We're going to talk about some free agency stuff. And we're going to talk about some draft stuff right here 
on on our on our podcast to begin to start thinking about what this roster is going to look like. But sure are. right off the start, you start thinking about you know obviously pass rush. You're thinking about maybe a potentially another offensive lineman, and I think you you're obviously looking at probably defensive back, especially with what happened in the secondary with an injury standpoint. Are you looking? Is there a number one corner sitting there? Is that kid? You know that kid from Ohio State looked pretty good in that Clemson game. I don't know if he's going to fall. Yeah. yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of good players in college, and obviously there'll be a lot of good players sitting there at 16. So and who knows? You know Thomas has been pretty good about if he finds a guy and he wants to go get him. A lot of times he'll jump and get a guy. Yeah. Um, boy, our fans about a week ago, someone just threw that idea out there: a Julio Jones type move to get the to top three. Chase Young. Our fans want Chase Young so bad. I, but as you just pointed out, there's hope. You can get a very good player. You can get good players in, in all over the place. You can get them in the second, third round too. But It'll be interesting to see how this plays. And we're going to get into this later. I don't yeah. mean to get into the draft. But this no, is this is a this very is strong season. very strong draft for offensive tackles this year. And so we've seen them. When Sam Baker was drafted in 08, there was a strong tackle draft, and so when the tackle run began, people started jumping to get him. Um, in fact, Atlanta jumped into this back into the first round to draft Sam Baker the same year they drafted Matt Ryan in the first round. Will something like that happen? And when those type of things happen, now all of a sudden those players get shoved back. You know, you, you know, Calvin Ridley falls in your lap at 26. Who who potentially could fall in your lap at 16? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Certainly the big kid from Ohio State's not going to fall in your lap back there. He's going to go in the first three picks of the draft, so mm-hmm. we'll have to wait. But there are some other guys that can go get the passer if that's, in fact, where they decide to go. And uh, when you look at the the other thing decided yesterday was or, or finalized was the opponents. Ooh, yeah. opponents for 2020. What do you got for me? So we may very well need a, an edge rusher. You think so? <laughs> yeah. Um, I know two. we're going to see Patrick Mahomes <laughs> next year, so we'd like to try to get him on so the So just listen to this away slate, away game slate. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Outside of going to Carolina, New Orleans, and Tampa, they're going back to Minnesota. Okay. Pretty loud, pretty. Yeah, didn't handle our business up didn't there Didn't handle well. it too well this past year. We know that they're stacked. At Kansas City, mm. I don't know who. who hey, we they're going to be at the L.A. Chargers. Who knows who's going to be quarterback back there? Yeah, some people have talked about Cam maybe going heading out there uh, if he's indeed released or whatever. Um, at Green Bay, it's always an easy trip. Green Bay, although Atlanta's <laughs> played well in Green Bay before. Uh, Matt's played well. Not the last time though. Now. The one thing that's tough about that is when is it? You know, we yes. the last few times we've gone has been in the first week of December, December, so we'll have to see how this plays out. But okay, who else we got? And then the last one's at Dallas. At Dallas, that'll be a Dallas team that, that we'll have to wait and see. I think everybody is kind of in a holding pattern to see what's going to happen there at Jerry World and what's going to happen with Dallas finished, as far as their head coach. They finished eight and eight, um, but who knows what what they'll do? Mm-hmm. And then the home games, obviously outside of the divisional games, you have. Chicago coming to town, Detroit, the Broncos, the Raiders, and the Seahawks because they took ended up losing last night and taking second. And one of those games is yeah. going to be the international game. So that's, that is the slate, Dave. Uh, your initial thoughts uh, outside of as it pertains to this team. So 
before we wrap this up, I want to just get your thoughts on where this team is, not momentum, but just where we are. You talked a little bit about the offensive line. You talked about the potential with the two young players, the two rookies, Chris Lindstrom and, and Caleb McCary. They've at times looked good, and other times you can tell that they're growing. And then you mentioned a, game, a name that I'm intrigued with, Matt Gono, who you look at him physically, and he checks all the boxes. He seem, The coaches rave about him. The scouts have raved about him. He came from a tiny, tiny school, mm-hmm. Wellesley. Am I saying that right? Wesley, Wellesley? Wesleyan, maybe? Wesley, I don't, I don't some, even know. In, in don't Delaware. Know. Yeah. Uh, but he is, you know, they, they think so much of him that mm-hmm. they've, they've kept him and they're developing him. Is he the answer at left guard? Or do you think that they, you think they draft another or look at free agency? They've... If, if, there's, it feels like the offensive line is still a work in progress, yes? Well, yeah, it is. It is. And I think that that's where uh, the bulk of your uh, concentration on the offensive side of the ball have to be as far as do you like where you're at there? Do you have enough people here uh, that can help you fix that? I think Matt Gono is going to get an opportunity to play light guard. Remember, he was groomed to play right tackle until Caleb McGarry was ready to play. He got hurt at the beginning of the year, and it didn't work out. And subsequently, he didn't get as many snaps as you would have liked. I like the way he looks. He's a big-bodied guy that can come off the ball. I think he fits really nice in the guard spot. I I expect McGarry and Lindstrom's game to go to another level next year. It'll have to. We didn't run the ball with anywhere near the prowess you need to run the football with. Um, And that's part of your reason why you're ineffective in the red zone. And I, when you look at the red zone offense, this was a team here in Atlanta that I think was fifth in total offense, but the scoring offense was like 13 or 14 in scoring offense. And some of that was your inability to, score, to finish drives. If you get turnovers like you did yesterday, you get the fumble on the kickoff, you get the, or you get the fumble in the opening run where Debo comes up to recovery, you get the uh, Ricardo Allen interception, those have to be touchdowns. You got to, especially when you get the ball around the twenty-yard line. You've got to punch those in. Now you did it last week. Remember, you got the turnover early in the game. As all of a sudden you right. look up, it's fourteen nothing. That changes an NFL game, where you have an opportunity to do that yesterday and you didn't do it. So, to me, that's where the onus and the and the, and the really thought process is: How do we become a team that's multifaceted, being able to run it? And we know we can throw it. But you're going to protect your passer a lot better if you can run the football. You can't we've, have him dropping and throwing all day long. We've got to run the football better. Uh, it's just it, and it, it wasn't you didn't try. You ran it 30 yeah, times yesterday. You just yeah. could not move that defensive front. And it wasn't just that front. We only ran for over 100 yards four times in 16 games this year. That's that's not good enough. You'd like to average right around 100 to 105 yards on the ground. Then you're doing a pretty good job. If you bump that up into the 115, 120 range, now all of a sudden you're one of the top 10 teams in the league rushing the football. And as well as we throw it with the weapons on the perimeter, you become the 16 offense. But if you can't finish drives, that's where you go from being 29, 30 points a game to averaging 22, 23 points a game. And at 22, 23 points, that makes you vulnerable to, to losing football games because you know the other team's going to be able to score. So, Amen. Um, Amen to that. And, you know, I don't, want a, I don't want a top five passing offense. I want balance, and I want to be able to run the football. I want to keep their offense. You look at the offenses we just talked about that we're going to be facing in 2020. You know, Drew Brees twice, you know, the, the, the Vikings, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Dak Prescott and company, uh, you know, C, the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, 
you've, like you said, you've got to be able to eat the clock, move the chains, run the football, set up the play action. Well, look at the two number and, one and seeds. The in, top in five teams. Both sides. Well, look yeah. at the two number one seeds, Baltimore and San Francisco. Oh. They're predominantly run offenses. Now, they can throw it off of it because you have to gang up to stop the run. If you can have – and I'm not saying you have to be – you don't have to be top five running the football, but if yeah. you're if you're in that top ten running the ball, which is what we were, you go back to the sixteen team. I think we were three in throwing and five in running, and wow, how do you how do you defend that? That that becomes difficult. That gives your offensive line an opportunity to come off the ball, shorten the neck on that side, makes the game physical up front. So now as a pass rush, I've got to play a little bit slower because I got to play physical against the run. It slows my pass rush down. There's just so many things that happen there. So that certainly has to be a focus uh, as to fixing the offense or getting the offense where you want it. You know where the top five passing teams of 2019 are right now? On their couches mm-hmm. watching the playoffs. Sure. I mean, that, and we're one of them. Yep. Well, and we just, we just played the number one passing offense this weekend in, there you in go. Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, another area, when you look at the defensive side of the football, and it, it, it's been kind of the focus of all the conversation, Mr. Blank mentioned it, certainly Rich McKay mentioned it, and, and when we started talking about Dan Quinn and uh, Thomas Dimitrov returning to their jobs this week, this year is because of what they did or what Dan did with his checking his ego at the door. Not that he necessarily had much of one there anyway. He's a team-oriented dude. Um, to be able to shift gears, get Raheem in charge of the of the defense with help of Jeff Olbrick. it's been a it's been a nice mesh. And and to do that, you got to humble yourself some and 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 do the kind of things they needed to do. But the numbers are glaring as to what they did in the back half. They were giving up fifty three percent on third down in the first eight games of the year. They closed the season out the final eight games, giving up twenty five percent conversion, including one for eight yesterday on third down. That's number one in the league by a long way. It's unbelievable, Dave. And then you look. Then you start the looking. Yeah, you start looking at the at the moment sacks. You had seven sacks in the first eight games. Twenty two sacks in the last eight games. You're closing in almost three sacks a game, going from less than one to almost three sacks a game. And then you look at the takeaways. They had four takeaways in the first eight games. You had sixteen takeaways. In the last, you're averaging it's two take, caliber. You're, ta- you're averaging two takeaways a game in the last half of the season. That's where when you start thinking, well, how can Mister Blank make this decision? If you'd looked at it and it was just kind of a mediocre change or just a kind of a marginal change, then you say, okay, well, that's just the players making a few more plays than they had. This was dramatic. So the schematics, the play. The buy-in, all that stuff adds into what you get as to why Mr. Blank made his decision as to what this staff did to turn this season around. Now, we didn't make the playoffs, and it's not acceptable by any stretch of the imagination. But continuity in this situation, I thought was the prudent call. I thought it was a good call, tough call for Mr. Blank. By the way, just in case people are wondering, the, heading into the weekend, the, the passing yard leaders were Winston Prescott, Phillip Rivers, Jared Goff, and Matt Ryan. All non-playoff teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you brought up the decision um, and the turnaround, and uh, you know, I believe when you look at, and I was I was really glad that Mr. Blank explained this, and so did Rich. Um, but there's there's got to be something to be said for continuity, um, and 
you know, teams change, injuries happen. I get it. It's player, this is Dan Quinn's first head coaching gig. Uh, Arthur said in the interview that he's a young coach. He's trying to learn still. And so how do you think, uh, let me ask you about Rich McKay's influence. He's a, we all know Rich's history from, you know, his, the son of a coach, the legendary coach, John McKay, you know, Rich has been a GM, uh, you know, at different spots. He's built, he's built Super Bowl teams. Um, he's on obviously the rules of competition committee, uh, committee. Arthur mentioned that now Rich is going to spend a lot more time because he's been so involved with the stadium the last five years. What do you think of that dynamic now with Rich's influence and having just being a sounding board, just being another voice in those rooms, whatever those rooms may be? Uh, what do you think of that and his influence? Yeah, I, I like it. And by the way, if you hadn't heard uh, the interview that Matt does with uh, owner Arthur Blank, it's it's up on AtlantaFalcons.com. It's an outstanding interview, and it really was the first look into what Mr. Blank was going to do with his team. So congratulations to you. That was a good, that was a very good interview. A lot happened quickly. Yeah, I know it happened. (laughs) There was a lot of oil burned at the, at the midnight hour by everybody here with the Atlanta Falcon organization. Certainly uh, the team that does what you and I are doing in the media. But uh, so congratulations with that. Uh, But uh, I think that Rich moving from stadium oriented stuff and what a job he's done. Think about Raymond James stadium where we were there yesterday, tremendous outdoor facility mm. fans flock there. Even when their team's not very good, they still come because it's a cool place to come and hang out. And then he heads up a, a group and we're not saying rich did it all. There's a lot of people around rich that helped put together Mercedes Benz stadium, but what a phenomenal job he did there. And that was something that Mr. Blank said, Hey, do this for me, take this, take care of this and run, run point on this. And he did, and he did at a championship level. So now he shifts gears and comes back to flowery branch where he's been spending maybe, maybe two days a week. Now he comes back out here full time. And what Rich's idea is for what he's going to do, he's not going to make all the draft picks. He's not going to decide, Hey, this is who you're doing. What he's going to do is he's going to create a focus, try to help create a focus for Dan Quinn and for Thomas Dimitrov as a purpose in a in a process with which they go through to kind of for a lack of a better term kind of stay on task to a certain extent and, and I don't want to be disparaging to either one of those guys because obviously there's been a lot of great draft picks coming here there's been a lot of football won here since those two have been together but there has been maybe a little bit of meandering that maybe they can tighten the ship up and that's what you're looking for and this is a guy as you mentioned outstanding GM, drafted Warren Sapp, drafted Derek Brooks. I mean, this is a guy that knows personnel that can help chip in, maybe make an evaluation, not tell Thomas what to do, but help make an evaluation and also evaluate coaching staffs because he's been in those situations where, okay, does this guy fit what we're trying to do? Does he have the same philosophies? Are we still, are we button heads or are we going in the same line? That's another thing that he can help coach Quinn with. So, I mean, it's an invaluable resource. Uh, Rich has forgotten more than you and I will ever know Mm. about the game and about the hierarchy of the game and how you fit things together. The puzzle pieces go together. So I think it's really cool he's going to be a part of it. Is continuity – what are your thoughts on continuity in general? I know Arthur Blank explained, hey, you don't just not change for the sake of not changing. Um, You've got to see signs, which you've just alluded to. There have been some positive signs that – the Falcons are coming off their winningest decade in franchise history. So they have been winning. Uh, part of it's been Mike Smith. Part of mm-hmm. it's been Dan Quinn. That all said, when you look at some of these franchises, Dave, 
the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, they're the extreme. Three coaches since 1969. Yeah. But you look at some of these other franchises, even one in our division, where, you know, Sean Payton had three consecutive seven and nine seasons. We we're, we now have back-to-back. Uh, they've made it pretty clear. The bar is not seven and nine. The bar cannot be seven and nine anymore. Uh, but... Your thoughts just on continuity real quick on that. Well, the analytics certainly point to uh, when you start talking about – you were talking about quarterbacks that have had to throw it too much and the teams that have been able to run it or get a blend. Those are the teams that are playing in the postseason and the guys that did it one way, throwing the ball or sitting and watching. I think that, that those analytics come together very similar with a continuity concept where if you've been able to kind of ride through maybe a little bit of rough patch, which this is a little bit of a rough patch, two seven and nine seasons, no question. Uh, don't forget, we're just we're under two calendar years re- from being one play from going to a second consecutive NFC championship game. So we're not that far removed from a lot of success with this team in this city and this regime. So that's something Mr. Blank looked at. There were a number of things he evaluated to make this happen. Continuity was one of them. There's a lot of analytics and things that go into this uh, that he looked at in in comparing the people you talked about and, and some other ones. Baltimore was one as well with John Harbaugh as to looking through some of the lean times that they were able to fight through, and now here they are where they are. Look at Baltimore, number one seed in the AFC. These are some of those things that came into it. It wasn't everything, but it was part of it. Obviously, the second half of the season, it wasn't everything, but it was part of the equation. He combined probably six or eight thoughts and then ultimately said, okay, how am I going to win next season? Not in a couple years. How am I going to win this next season? And that was with this group. This was going to give you your best chance to win. Well, the Falcons certainly have the parts in place, the coaching staff in place, the upper, the front office in place, and uh, they've learned a lot. Dan Quinn mentioned as much. You know, he's anxious to get started. He said he's learned more this year about himself, about coaching than he's ever learned in his career, which is saying something. Um, so there's a lot to be excited about. You talked about uh, the number 16 pick and you, you, you remember those guys pretty well. And so there's a, you know, fans want hope right now. And, uh, you know, when they, instead of, you know, cleaning house and starting from scratch, the Falcons have decided to say, Hey, look at, these are all the very good things, parts we have in place. And now let's take them and figure out how we can go from seven and nine to which is fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. But we know the bar is they, they want to be relevant this time of year and, and not uh, not sitting home. And I think the other big key, Dan, or, or Dave, is uh, I got Dan Quinn on my mind, is getting off to a quick start. Yeah, and that's something they were going to look at. I, t- I talked to uh, real quickly. I talked to Rich about that. I said, uh, how much of this evaluation in the off season? And that's something he's going to do. Is he going to evaluate how we're doing things? What are we doing? How are we practicing? How those are all things Rich is going to look at. It's not just personnel or coaching staff. He's going to look at all the things that they're doing because uh, are we not emphasizing preseason enough? Is there the, so that's all going to be looked at. And I know that's music to the ears of some of the Falcon fans that we've kind of flopped around through the preseason. Maybe you shift gears on that. Maybe that helps you get off to a better start. But uh, you can bet that every rock will be overturned. 
Nobody is in in a cruise position or anything here at Flowery Branch. They know that the onus is on them. This is a tough off season, an important off season. And they got to come out blazing this next season. Well, I'll tell you what. If you're around these parts, you feel it already. You feel like the the bar. You everyone knows where that bar is now. Uh, I remember this time last year after Dan Quinn made the announcement that he was moving on from you know parting ways with three coordinators. It's different this year. It just feels like the pedals to the metal right now. And uh, that's a good thing if you're a Falcons fan. And uh, this is a season of hope. And uh, there's a lot to talk about. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But, uh, man, I just want to wish you a happy new year. And uh, thank you for uh, just being a tremendous source of uh, knowledge. You're so good at your craft. It's uh, an honor to have you on this podcast. And uh, uh, it's been a fun year. It's been an up and down year. Let's just say this. It ended on a fun note. So. It did. Uh, with, with, you know, when we're talking about the field, we always have fun. But uh, Well, thanks for the kind thanks, words. Man. It's been a lot of fun. We've got a tremendous team that puts this together. Matt and I get the easy part. We just get to stand up here and gab, but there's a tremendous amount of group, a tremendous group behind us that do a tremendous job. Uh, really, our offensive line, and they can block now. These, this group can come off the ball and block <laughs> our group that does uh, yeah. uh, our podcast here with uh, Falcons Audible. Look forward to getting with you here in this offseason and, yes. and chopping some stuff up. That's awesome. Happy New Year, and yeah, I, I, I ditto on that. We got a awesome producers back there. If they can make me look and sound halfway decent, then <laughs> they all need raises. <laughs> all right, thanks. I'll, I'll wrap it up. Thanks. This is Falcons Audible, presented by AT&T.